Hello, dear listener slash viewer. You are listening to Concepts with uh, your hosts, Nick Tristan and Matt Wary-Smith. I am the aforementioned Nick Tristan, and today we're talking about, as you may have guessed from uh, the music you heard coming in here, the title of the podcast. Uh, we're talking about Joy Mitchell's Blue. That's right. Hey, Matt. I'm here, too. It's Matt. It's not just Nick in a soft jazz voice. Hey. It could be, though. Ah, well. Maybe we should just soften it. This is a pretty chill record. Maybe we should soften it up. Yeah. Nah. Nah. Let's yell. <laughs> Let's yeah, yell and get very abrasive. Uh, let's say you yell and are very abrasive, and I'll just kind of do me. Oh, sort of taking our classic dichotomy and our, flipping exactly, it on its yeah, ear. The virgin whore dichotomy. <laughs> I'll let uh, our dear listeners decide which is which. So this is going to be a lot of fun because, A, I really like this record. B, you really like this record. Uh-huh. C, it's going to be interesting because this is maybe the first record we've done that isn't transparently a concept album. Except for the uh, for <laughs> when we did uh, Speaker Box. Decided it wasn't a concept <laughs> album about halfway through the episode and then uh, sure, we, I mean, kept we d- going. We didn't have to mention that. No. But we did. Yep. And now uh, everyone's going to know we're liars. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, this is a very, uh, very sad start to our podcast, finding out that uh, we're liars. Yeah. I mean, I, we knew it to be true mm. uh, this whole time. But now our dear viewers and listeners know it mm-hmm. as well. And that's really a, it's really going to put a put a wet blanket on this whole program put a dent in our our uh viewer slash listenership yep that's something i'm willing to deal with <laughs> all right so uh we are talking about uh blue the seminal Joni mitchell record from 1971 mm-hmm. uh this is Joni's fourth album i believe that's after correct. um i know lays of the canyon and clouds and she's got another one that i think is very like uh, 60s folk that I'm not particularly... Uh, Ladies of the Canyon is before in 1970. Uh, so there's maybe you're missing her second record yeah. of some kind. Uh, let's call it Joni Mitchell's Playhouse of Fun. Yep. That was the one where it's mostly her singing kids tunes, uh-huh. uh, lots of accordion. It's basically a Weird Al album, but by Joni Mitchell. <laughs> She's doing self-parodies. Has, has Weird Al parodied Joni Mitchell? I don't know. Point? I don't know if she's really had, at least when Weird Al was uh, active, I don't know if she really had a hit that he would, maybe he did one of his like pastiches. It's her. also hard to parody, like Weird Al is so good at matching the meter of the song he's mm-hmm. parodying and even matching his parody rhymes with the original rhymes and Joni Mitchell sings... Uh, like she's not of this earth. It's pretty complex stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to parody. Mm-hmm. And why would you? Uh, though there is a great uh, parody in 30 Rock of uh, um, Joy Mitchell. We'll post that on uh, on the website Find along with this episode. Find it below. It is very funny. It's Tina Fey singing in a Joni Mitchell style. It's very, very good. Anyway, so we're talking blue. And uh, Matt, what's your, uh, your background with blue? both Joni Mitchell and this record. I'm glad you asked. I'm I'm glad I asked too because it's a good starting point for our podcast. It sure is. And maybe I'll ask you the same question uh, in return. Hey, a good interviewer never lets on what his questions are going to be. That's true. Or do they? I actually a, a don't good, know. A good interview never reveals their secrets yeah. or how they do mm-hmm. magic. How tricks. they do their, uh, their illusions. <laughs> As everybody knows. Um, I got into Joni because of my parents who were folkies. My mom's a big Joni Mitchell fan. And uh, we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. um, but basically for me, I was growing up and Joni Mitchell was like the Beatles or like they were, she was just like a constant that was around uh, so much so that she had songs 
like um, I think Big Yellow Taxi is the one that I usually use as an example mm-hmm. that um, to me was just like uh, it was like a f- so so much of a famous folk song that was almost as if I didn't know it was written by like a contemporary artist. I thought it was like which I think is kind of the case for a lot of folk songs for me. Like there's tons sure. of Pete Seeger songs where I was growing up and I was like, well, oh, these songs are probably like 500 years old. I don't know. They've been around forever. But it turns out they were written like within the last. Hundred years, fifty years by like a prominent singer song. For sure, for sure. I had a I had a similar experience because my uh, grade four and five music teacher was a a, a hippie folky. So I learned like like you said like a lot of Pete Seeger, a lot of stuff like the Kingston Trio yeah, did, yeah. Peter Paul and Mary stuff, sure. kind of as children's songs rather than as you know contemporary folk hits. Right, as many of these were at the time. Yeah, I used to think that like. Uh, Yellow Submarine by the Beatles mm-hmm. was like, you know, you could equate it to Banana Phone by Raffi. You know, they were both like kids songs. And same with Circle Game or Big Yellow Taxi. These were just uh-huh. like songs that you sing as a kid, uh, teaching you about environmentalism. You know, that's a good thing to learn. And that's sure. why it, it does work well as, as a kid song. I think. Of course, yeah. And so for me, that was sort of my, my, my intro to Joni growing up. I knew she existed and I never gave her... Uh, I mean, in my teen years when I was growing up, I was sort of uh, not like rebelling against my parents. I never felt like I fully rebelled, but I was like, I don't want to listen to folk music. I want to listen to rock and roll music. I want to listen to a lot of American experimental rock band Ween and other Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, And then as I got older and I started getting back more into folk music and I started really listening to singer songwriters and writing music myself, I came to uh, fully appreciate Joni for for what she is and Mm -hmm. what she's done for folk music and and what she represents to songwriters in general. And Blue uh, has, uh, since that since that happened to me, and I considered my, started considering myself to be a, a real, true Blue, <laughs> if you'll excuse uh, the pun, uh, Joni fan. You, you are excused. Thank you very much. Um, it's, it's been my favorite, my constant, consistent uh, favorite Joni record for, cool. for quite a while. Yeah, um, my my background with Joni's a little different than yours, uh, though it does have a similarity that I grew up with Big Yellow Taxi. Uh, uh, it was one one of two Joni songs that my parents played a lot. The other was uh, um, Help Me. So I think they just started playing Cord and Spark right. and didn't really get it much further than that, sure. uh, which is Cord and Spark is uh, obviously a great record. Um but from when I really got into Joey Mitchell was um, a little bit, little bits here and there in high school. Definitely, um, uh, both sides now is a, an old favorite of mine as a tune. Uh, but it was definitely jazz school when I mm-hmm. really started getting into Joni, um, particularly kind of her what's going to know as her jazz period, like, like hissing late. of his, yeah, her the late seventies stuff, hissing yeah. of summer lawns. Mingus was one of the first records I bought, which is weird because it's kind of bad. Mm-hmm. It, it's not it's. It's kind of bad. It has a, it has some great tunes on it, and then it's got a lot of uh, filler, both uh, musically and um, some recordings of Joni Mitchell hanging out with Charles Mingus, which are I want just an album really, of that. Not really my thing. Um, yeah, like, yeah, like Joni Mitchell and Mingus doing like gangster rap, like hip hop skits on an album. Just the two of them hanging out, and <laughs> shooting it's, shooting it's, guns. It's essentially besides the shooting guns. It's essentially they're not skits. They're just like clips of this like home home movie stuff but uh it's not really my thing i get i get the it's a tribute record um but yeah so this this when she was working a lot with uh with wayne shorter um american jazz guitarist pat massini um uh, people like that who were uh 
who were really instrumental to her kind of developing as a a jazz singer. And then I also got into her really late work, uh, her early 2000s, mid 2000s work when she did Both Sides Now and Mm -hmm. uh, Travelogue, which are old tunes and some actually some jazz standards as well with these overbearingly lush orchestrations by Vince Mendoza, right. who um, I've uh, I, I've did actually at jazz school. I, I did some of these orchestral transcriptions uh, for a school project. So I really got to like delve into her and by and she's gone from, you know, kind of having a slightly shrill voice in her, uh, sure. which she's often mocked for in her old stuff. She's now very rich, full. Yeah. Uh, lush alto voice. So that was sort of my journey with uh, my journey with Joni. Which my is, journey with Joni by Nick. <laughs> that'd be a good book. Um, uh, Joni Mitchell book. is my now. All that said, Joni Mitchell is one of my two favorite uh, songwriters of all time. The other is uh, the the late Leonard Cohen, mm. late great Leonard Cohen. Mm-hmm. Um, so and third is Pat Metheny, <laughs> and third is American uh, jazz guitarist Pat Metheny. Um, <laughs> But Blue, to me, is a record uh, I really – it wasn't my first entry into Joni, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't even – I feel like it was shockingly recent that I listened to it as a whole. Mm -hmm. I I obviously knew Case of You and uh, and River off of it, but less – I didn't know it as this kind of cohesive whole. And I came to you with the idea of doing this on Concepts because I sort of created my own – concept for the record i haven't i i was looking and i haven't found anyone else talk about what i think this record is about so i'm kind of curious to uh to, to see what you think and see if i'm kind of you know talking shit but. sure well you're certainly talking shit <laughs> that's, that's why, why this, I... this show is called <laughs> talking shit with nick and matt were you gonna say that exact <laughs> yeah, that was exactly what i was gonna say we Great. might spend too much time together we might it's entirely possible um well, welcome back to talking shit with nick and matt where we talk shit about all of our favorite celebrities mm. and songwriters um so it's funny i never thought about this album as a concept album mm-hmm I, I mean, I never thought about any album other than things that are so transparently concept albums yeah. as concept albums until we started doing the show yeah. and looking at things really critically. What, what about, um, uh, to talk about a previous episode we did, what about The Mollusk by Ween? Right. Because that is a concept album without being a rock opera. I think those yep. terms get conflated a lot. For sure. That's an album I always thought of as a concept album because it has uh, like production wise and stylistically and in the songwriting differences from their other material and a lot of similarities mm-hmm. as well but that album has a very cohesive thing that's very very different mm-hmm. whereas blue and uh, a few of the other things we're looking at you know we talked about um we talked about uh, uh, speaker box, speaker box. Um, their albums where they don't you know they have sort of conceptual ideas in them, and we'll talk a little bit about about why we think Blue is a concept album. But stylistically, production-wise, and a lot of other ways, they're not that different from the artist's previous music. You know, it's I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of differences, uh-huh. but like it's folk singer songwriter. Um, a lot of her playing the piano, a lot of her playing mm-hmm. guitar, a lot of her playing dulcimer, um, and so the reason that I think Blue does work as a concept album is not. Uh, from that side, which is sort of how Musical, I see the mollusk, yeah. mollusk working, but rather um, from like a lyrical storytelling standpoint, mm-hmm. is really what I think this album is is uh, is all about. For sure, and uh, I think we're probably it makes the most sense to kind of separate this one into music, talking mm-hmm. about music for sure. a bit, and then talking about the lyrics maybe after. Sure. So let's start with some music. Sure. Uh, it's a good place to start on the, on this one because um, I think I, I get what you're saying that there, it's not maybe the most 
it's not as radical a shift as uh, Ween's like mid '90s stuff into kind of the discipline of the mollusk. Right. It's a very disciplined record. Compared yeah, it's, it's to coming the, from there. Basically, annoy the shit out of everyone. And annoy the shit about, out of Nick. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And make him think he hates Ween. Yeah. Which he doesn't. I do not. I uh, heard it here first, folks. You heard it here second, because we talked about it on a pr- previous episode. I was still pretty anti-Ween by the end of that episode. It's like, okay, this record's fine. But That's then, true, but it's, since then we've come in. Since then. There's going to be a lot of talk about Ween on this podcast. It yeah, doesn't matter the episode. It doesn't matter what. We're talking about, you know, Joni Mitchell, the clear uh, pre- <laughs> predecessor to Ween. Yeah, you really got to. So, but, uh, but there is, I think there's a um, definitely a musical shift between um, Cloud's and this, yeah, um, and uh, from her very early stuff, it's you know a lot of dulcimer, mm-hmm. and uh, she's around um, Lays of the Canyon. She starts experimenting with alternate tunings. Mm-hmm. Clouds. Um, it's funny. I was reading the uh, um, the Robert Christgau all his Joni reviews, and he mentions Clouds as being. Piano, her first piano-driven record, and I don't think about that at all. Right. But when you would never, because Blue, to me, is her first piano-driven record. But there it's, are, there's only a there's, few tunes that has piano. But, I mean, Blue is one, River is one, right. um, uh, Mild Man. So mm-hmm. there, there's these, these kind of like strong touchstones that the album kind of has this more... The piano, compa- piano compared to guitar or dulcimer or a strummed instrument is its... Not that the guitar is an expressive instrument, but piano has a sort of impressionistic, expressive, uh, rubato style uh, mm-hmm. that it lends itself very well. Like blue, you can't blue doesn't have a beat. Yeah, the song blue. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's driven by her uh, her rubato, and for the um, benefit of uh, uh, listeners who don't know the term rubato, rubato is uh, out of t- means out of time. Right. It has there's a push and a pull, and if you listen to the song blue, you can really hear her stretching it in a way that she doesn't do on the dulcimer mm-hmm. and uh, and on the guitar. And a lot of people don't know, but that's why at the end of that song she says "Domo arigato, Mister Robato." Uh, sort of as an homage to uh, the technical term for it. <laughs> I'm getting two middle fingers from Nick. Yes. Uh, I, I was waiting for a long time to say that. As soon as you said Roboto the first time, I just couldn't help myself. Sure. Go on. Uh, what, yeah. Whatever you were saying sounded very smart. So I think um, as uh, we'll get to this when we talk about the lyrics, but the big shift here is a shift from sort of uh, some of the more classic elements of the 60s uh urban folk which is um definitely like there's kind of like it's something my mom uh terms fairy shit just kind of like <laughs> it's uh it's lighter it's dazzling it's a little mystical it uh deals with uh you know love and like it's it's very it's a warmer fuzzier Joni Mitchell we see early on it's hippie shit it's, it's hippie shit kind yeah. of that we see but blue is stripped down blue is all about it's pretty raw it's a very raw record so i think it's not a coincidence that more of these songs are piano driven right super emotional and you confessional know, her, right yeah absolutely it's i a like confessional instrument i like the idea um like you just said of stripping the away all the the fanciness and the fairy hippie bullshit mm-hmm. from her prior stuff because i think that blue is some of her not that she doesn't have amazing songs off of her earlier records as well mm-hmm. but like the raw honesty and stories she's telling and 
you're right. The way that she plays out of time, but it's very, very emotional. Mm-hmm. There's almost no record in the world, I think, in the history of music that comes like where just raw emotion is brought across so easily and effortlessly, or or rather even it's almost as if it's taking a great deal of effort to get there. You know, it's like it's a it's a it's hard for her to do it because she's so emotionally attached to the tunes. There's a huge amount of labor on this record and uh Blue the song is a really good example for that. Uh um the late middle section um she has a very long line that she gets across uh without without breezing. It's just blue I love you, mm-hmm. but it's stretched out and just painstakingly stretch out and she's out of tune and it sounds like she's been crying Mm -hmm. and it's just it is such an emotional it's an overwhelming emotional movement and she's and the piano just gets louder and heavier and she's pounding on the keys and it there's really no like you said there's I can't think of something that emotional that's comparable to that moment on that one song. And it's so funny, another reason why I think it's such a great record is that you have that sort of painful um, ripping out of your own soul to get your emotion across, but then you also have on this record the song that I think probably sticks out the most. We talked about this, and I believe you said you thought the song that sticked out the most was California. Yeah. I think the song that sticks out the most is This Flight Tonight that has mm-hmm. a much larger arrangement than everything else. It's a big full band. There's that part where they go into that like ooh-la-la-la yeah. drum it section. It sounds like something from Court and Spark, which right. is her next record. Exactly. And it's definitely um, that and uh, um, uh, Carrie has uh, those those background vocals as right. well that uh, remind me a little more of like the um, Graham Nash and Stephen Stills backgrounds on uh, – um, uh, on Corden Spark, though uh, Stephen Stills pl- uh, plays bass on this record, which right. is pretty cool. And didn't so she makes she continues making music with Graham Nash, but this album is almost entirely about them yeah. breaking up. So right? let, yeah, let's let's do a little uh, background on this record. So I'm later on. I'm going to argue that there's a more that it's not necessarily as about these uh, th- these two breakups right. as. Uh, as I've seen other publications do, but the main crux of this is uh, some of the songs are about her breakup with Graham Nash, right. and some of the songs are about her relationship and eventual breakup with James Taylor, right? Which came after, mm-hmm. and, and um, heroin and all that. Yeah, shit. yeah. And James Taylor plays on on he plays that amazing guitar on California. He's a good guitar player. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Um, uh, but yeah, so I think. Um, that's sort of the background of these two. And then there's also um, last time I saw Richard is about her ex-husband mm-hmm. who uh, she left in Canada. And that there's there's a lot there. Why um, don't we let's let's take a little break. And yeah. then when we come back, we can talk a little bit more about what the album means. We can talk sure. about your idea of the concept and mine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll have some laughs. Uh, we'll uh, keep sipping on this delicious coffee. For and sure. uh, we'll just talk about Joni a little bit more. All right. Well, let's uh, let's end uh, this segment with a little something I like to call the last time I saw Richard. Hey, 
if you're listening to this program, that means you have discovered OverEasyAirwaves.com and all of the wonderful, beautiful pieces of little or big content that it has to offer. Uh, if somehow you found this piece of programming and you don't know what it is, OverEasy Airwaves uh, is a website full of all sorts of amazing content from music to podcasts to comedy to art and literally everything uh, in between. If you like what you're hearing and you want to support, we can always, uh, you know, go for all the help and support we can get. Uh, all you have to do is uh, shoot us an email at info at overeasyairwaves.com. Let us know you're interested in giving us piles and piles of money. We also uh, accept sacks of money. We accept uh, chests of gold doubloons. We accept pretty much anything you have to offer. Uh, we'll take it. Uh, shoot us an email and uh, make sure you go by overeasyairwaves.com. Uh, check out all the great content that's up on there and if you're not convinced we will send someone to your door to speak with you in person to convince you and or violently rob you and get what we need from you to, to make sure we can keep doing what we're doing over here this is a disclaimer hi i'm the over easy airways lawyer uh johnny law i would like to point out that matt does actually not represent uh anyone here at over easy airways we will not send someone to your door to rob you that is a very irresponsible thing to say, but we could always use your support. So if you would like to donate or, uh, you know, buy some ad space on this beautiful network, contact us at info at overeasyairwaves.com. Born with the moon in cancer. Welcome back to Concepts, my friends. Little bit of Little Green for you. Song by Joni Mitchell off her album Blue, which we're talking about here today on Concepts. Is it a concept album? What do we like about it? All that good stuff. You know what this show's about. For sure. Probably should have said that stuff at the beginning of the show instead of after the first break. <laughs> well, it's uh, not, not, not the pilot. It's so. far too late. Yep. Great. And listen, if you're, if you're starting now... Uh, you're an idiot. You're missing, the missing out on the comprehensive canon we've developed here. How, how are you going to get our amazing references we made to ourselves talking about the mollusk or speaker box? Yeah, go back, listen to those, Can't those be done. episodes. Can't be done. No. Little Green, you said you wanted, what did you want to say about Little Green? Well, uh, <laughs> What did you want to say about what it? What did I want to say about Little Green? So uh, you mentioned, uh, you were singing it on the break, and you mentioned... Uh, that was like, well, speaking of hippie shit, the, yeah, the moon and cancer. Born with the moon and cancer. Do you know what Little Green is about? Uh, some sort of astrology bullshit? <laughs> Very wrong. <laughs> Little Green. I was close. Uh, when Joni Mitchell lived in Toronto in the mid-60s, she uh, gave a child up for adoption. Mm. And this song is about her daughter and thinking about her daughter and um, and being disconnected and far away from her daughter. And if you, I would re-listen now that you know that's what it's about because it is, and really like get into the lyrics because it is gut-wrenching. I feel like now that you mentioned that, I did know that mm -hmm. story because that sounds familiar to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, oh, I'll listen to it. I mean, yeah. I, I just did, <laughs> just but did. I'll listen but to yeah, it again. Listen to it again. <laughs> but it, uh, so you, as we talked about the hippie bullshit, uh, this was written, the song was written four years previous. Yeah, this is in, the oldest song on the, the record. the oldest right? song on the record, 1967. And I can see why 
even though it's a fucking incredible song, it took so long to get it recorded because it doesn't slide onto a record very well. Right. Um, uh, the the in the Rolling Stone review of Blue, she said that uh, the critic said this was the only song that uh, defies uh, defies understanding, defies logic. It, it's because about, about like um, in regards to why it was put on the record. To, at all? In regards to the lyrics, um, the the review was very negative on kind of finding it. Uh, impenetrable, which would be a scene with Rolling Stone not understanding Joni Mitchell's lyrics. I mean, she's kind of cryptic. Yeah, and and it's definitely, I mean, it's not, if you don't know that background, it can be a little hard to decipher some of what's going on in the song. Mm -hmm. But it's it has a lot in common with an earlier song of hers, which is on Clouds, Um, I Don't Know Where I Stand. Similar similar guitar pattern. um, uh, A similar a similar chord progression in the uh, in the chorus. But to go between um, the rawness and the and the very personal connection of Little Green and to, to look back at I Don't Know Where I Stand, where it has the line, crickets call courting their ladies in starred apple green. Yeah. It's a, like it's a great song. And it's a but it, it's about it's, you know, picked up a pencil and wrote I love you in my finest hand. Right. Wanted to send it, but I don't know where I stand. It's very it's childish. Almost. Yeah, and it's also very like lots of fancy language. Yeah, without much, it's beautiful. Like, but are it, you taking yeah. notes, Fleet Foxes? Because yeah. years later, you're going to write a song that rips that off. <laughs> Probably a whole yeah. bunch of them. Yeah. I like Fleet Foxes. Me too. But they have they do a lot of that very sort of frilly, um, surficial lyrics. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, they're uh, they don't have the kind of raw guttural emotion that you know Joni's Blue does. So and they're pussies. Yeah. That that was my point. Um, there, uh, so when you listen to to Little Green and you have this, you know, very gut wrenching emotional statement, but it still has that kind of you know classic Joni Mitchell guitar right. pattern. It it just to me, it's such a beautiful blending of her her older style and then this new uh, confessional direction she's going in. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, uh, we said before the break we were going to come back and talk about the concept of this album mm-hmm. and what this album is about. And we sort of touched on it a little bit before the break where we talked about her breakups. Um, but I'm curious to hear uh, what your grand My theory grand unifying theme is. Of the, so, the extended Joni-verse. Yeah. The, ex- <laughs> <laughs> the Joni cinematic universe. Um, so, She's Thor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for me, so the whole record comes back to... Uh, there's a lot of talk about travel and, you know, there's uh, a song that we're set when she's on a plane. Um, but the whole album sort of bounces between the idea of Canada and the idea of California. Mm-hmm. And these are and there's so much symbolism jam packed in these areas, these geographic areas um, that just comes up again and again. Um, and it might not even be like any place in Canada specifically, but when you consider that she lived in Canada up until the end of the 60s, leaving only when she divorced her her husband, there's a lot of resonance to when she talks about Canada compared to California, where her new life is. There's a line, I can't even remember what song it is, where she just says Canada, and then the next line, instead of moving on to another point, which she easily could do, the next line is just, 
Oh Canada That's, as like she's so just to even mention it is upsetting yeah and then she just thinks about it for a little while well it it comes in and it, it, that's in a case of you yeah. and I'll um I'll kind of as I kind of go through my I'll, I'm just gonna really quickly go through song by song just to kind of explain what I'm coming across and then you can be like that's dumb yeah shut I can't up. wait to shut your yeah. stupid fucking idea down so it's we start be great fun we start with all I want which is probably one of the more one of the less tied in songs. It's just it, it it's a song of longing and, and then it's a song about loss too. These people aren't necessarily still in love. I think this is one of the Graham Nash songs. Yeah. Um as a side note, the other day you and I were talking about great opening tracks to records. Oh, yeah. This is one of them. Holy shit. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um and then we go into uh, Mild Man, which is I would say the most kind of it it's just it's a nice little love song. Yeah. It, but even in this in in a more uh traditional love song it's got this windy dissonant chorus mm-hmm. which is not the melody is very it's very um uh angular it's a very tw- it's not a not a conventional mm-hmm. love song melody and that and you could uh you know put that to you know Joni getting a little more experimental with yeah, her melodies uh but i but i think it, it there's a little bit of a statement there that for sure it's the second track on the album mm-hmm. it's pretty ballsy and uh, you know i mentioned to you that i started to really appreciate this album when i started to write songs and when i yeah. started to be really aware of melody and song structure and that kind of shit and listening to this song and we don't need no piece of paper from the city hall. Da, 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 yeah, da, da, it's, right. It's like holy shit, what the fuck is she doing? And the first time you hear that chorus, it's like, well, this is weird. And then by by the time it comes around a second time, you're like, oh yeah, I couldn't wait for that to happen mm-hmm. again because I love it. Mm-hmm. That yeah, this is a one of the most interesting songs. Simple, super effective, really interesting. It's very cool. And then we move from that into Little Green, which we've talked about. Um, and I think that kind of like. The trauma of her breakups and the trauma of um, sort of not having a place to call home, which mm-hmm. comes up again and again on this record, is what kind of allows her to talk about her daughter mm-hmm. for the first time on a record. It's not meant she never mentions her daughter before or really after. Yeah, yeah. Um and then uh, from that, we go into Carrie, which is a really interesting song because I'm going to. So Carrie was written while she was in, living in Greece in a hippie commune. Carrie is the single like the, the single from the album, right? Wasn't it? It was it was the one that charted the highest, which is weird because it has no staying power whatsoever. I've, I have never heard someone cover it. I've never heard it on the radio. That's a, I mean, I've yeah. never I never really have either. But I understand why listening to the album front to back, why this charted. The oh, highest. it's fantastic. It's fan- it is like a single. It's, it's, a, it's a it's a great song. It's a good single. And. Uh, I mean, especially for a nervous record label, it's probably the one you're going to put out rather than yeah, exactly. Rather Jody, than, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, this is, we could we could sell this <laughs> rather than River, which has you know become a pretty timeless song, but it, it's pretty uh, pretty morose. Yeah. Um, but Carrie like talks Luke. a lot about um, uh, wanting to go home, wanting to like I. She's accustomed to the, the white linens, mm-hmm. and uh, she wants to dress up. In in fancy silks and go out uh, go out to this cafe because she's sort of she feels trapped in this. Uh, there's lines about like being trapped in this world of in world of dirt or something. Mentions it just it has like My, you get a sense Empire that it's yeah. Think of the Nine Inch <laughs> yeah. Nails song. Yeah, hurt. 
Yeah, I which also... Joni Mitchell covered uh, just before her death in a very haunting. Well, but, oh, you but, know but, what? No you jokes what? about Joni was... Mitchell's death. Sorry, that no was... jokes. Yeah, that. Uh... Oh boy, no. Yeah, that was really untasteful. And I would know. <laughs> I would know. You're the untaste guy. I'm the whore of, and you're the virgin, as I recall. Hey! Oh, I gave it away! <laughs> I am so sorry. Um, that was, also, Carrie includes maybe my favorite hippy-dippy lyric of all time, which is, <laughs> ooh, you're a mean old daddy, <laughs> but you're out of sight. Man. Uh, <laughs> Fuck you, Jody. <laughs> 2016 is the year of the daddy, so uh, let's, it's, yeah. Let's it's also really... bring back the expression, out of sight. Sure. It's great. Yeah. Great movie, too. Um <laughs> George Clooney. Great, great film. J-Lo. J-Lo. Michael Keaton. It's a sexy... I remember watching Mm -hmm. the trailer for that because it was... That trailer was on a VHS of maybe before uh, Speed or something. Ghostbusters 2. It could be. Honestly, it could be. It was in... But that's a, a trailer... For a movie that was on lots of VHSs I had when I was a kid, and yeah. I remember watching the trailer, going like, "Yeah, I get, I, I'm, I'm, I'm that eight, Michael I'm eight Keaton years is old. one tasty piece of ass." I'm starting to realize that maybe Jennifer Lopez is a good-looking girl. I had no idea, but it's becoming painfully clear. And George Clooney, you're not as famous as you will be one day," said mm-hmm. eight-year-old Matt. But yep. you look pretty good too. <laughs> and Michael Keaton, well, he's one of our most reliable character actors. Completely forgot he was in that movie. <laughs> Batman. He plays the Birdman, right? Yeah, in he, that movie. Yeah. He saves. Not to spoil the ending, but he uh, he flies in and saves Jennifer Lopez from the mole people. Maybe he's uh, dead at the end. Maybe he's not. Doesn't matter. George Clooney, J Lo, they look great. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful movie. Anyway, so um, Carrie is kind of the first introduction to this idea about being trapped between two places uh, or being trapped between two things, which comes up again and again. And then from here we go into. Is it California? I don't know, because my phone stopped working. <laughs> this is something that regular listeners will know, is my phone is so unreliable. Uh, I just need to print. It goes into blue. It goes into blue. <laughs> great. Which is Are we great. sure? Yeah. Don't turn so, your phone off. Just leave it on. I can't. Uh, okay. So, and that, to go from, you know, the hap- the, the, the more up feeling of Carrie into just, you just crash mm-hmm. into blue. This album has good... Good balance. Good flow, going from carry to blue. Like it, it's it's like a devastating blow, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I never skip songs on this album. No, I'll say that. And and blue, I, I won't get too much into it because um, it sort of maybe I'd like to come back to it just to talk about it individually. Uh, but then we do go into California. Which so we'll is, just mention it's an ode to her. It's an it's an ode to Pepsi Blue. Yep. And now we'll her move on to the next. Well album. known, uh, her favorite uh, v- colored variant of uh, of a soda besides, of course, Mountain Dew Code Red. Of course. Um, so it's then, like regular Mountain Dew, but served in a nifty <laughs> new red color. Yeah. So then we go into California, which I'd mentioned to you. I saw was out of place. Before, uh, because it's a little more, it's a bouncier song. It, Probably uh, my favorite song on this. It is so good, and I. But now I think it, it's a pretty vital, uh, vital part of the album because Joni Mitchell had defined her earlier records through California, mm-hmm. "Ladies of the Canyon," uh, for instance, re- reference to the, the Laurel Canyon uh, neighborhood in Los Angeles where she uh, she lived, and kind of you know that whole like Laurel Canyon sound came out from there. She's very connected to Los Angeles and California. For sure. So to call a song California, have it California, I'm coming home. Uh, it's got, it seems like tra- on the surface, it's transparently just another song about how great it is to live in uh, Los Angeles uh, and to live in California. But 
she, as she talks about what every what's so great about California, just the it's bright, it's shiny. Uh, the refrain that she comes back to again and again is, uh, "Will you, you take, take me, me as I am?" Yeah, strung out on another man is the, how it starts out, but it's it's that idea that she ends the song on, "Will you take me as I am?" Can she fit in mm-hmm. to this bright, shiny place when she is? blue right you know and that's and the album cover if you haven't uh it's, if you it's literally know, her it literally, and she's blue and all i want uh uh has the line um and we get, we get so, so blue. blue yeah and so, also of course in case of you she says i could drink a case of blue another reference there is to pepsi blue. there is blue and I'm, I'm getting to that there's blue in that song as well it's but, funny that you, that originally you think california was the one that sort of doesn't fit and now in the in your grand theory of the extended uh, cinematic joni verse yeah it's a crucial part it's, of this album a, well yeah because and maybe it was because i did have to listen to the song a little more carefully to find out why why it was on this album that on the surface is sort of it's about melancholy it's Mm -hmm. about being morose being sad and that's that's what blue is about blue is literally a song about being sad the whole album is is pretty much centered on being sad hence the name of the of the album um i was gonna say something but i think i lost it you know? That's fine. If it comes back, you uh, you put your hand up like we're in school, and I I'm won't. Just, I'm just going to keep talking. I'll oh no, you, you is, oh you is will, what I'm won't you? Do. Um, from here we go into uh, this flight tonight, which you said you didn't get as much. I think another reason because of that is because I always thought of this as like who covers this song so famously, where it's like hair metal almost. I have Starlight, no idea. Stop. You've never heard the cover? Oh, boy. It's like a classic rock version. I'm looking it up right now. Oh, that weird. I always thought was the original version. So, I, I mean, that would be very that would be very jarring. I've not heard this bizarre cover. Um, but what I... The, the really jarring thing about this song when you're listening to it, to me, isn't um, that it was covered by a hair metal band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it comes from... You know, going from California, uh, the song which is all about how great California is and how much she loves it uh, and how happy she is to be home. And then she's on a plane and she's having a panic attack. Yeah. That is what's so and, – and I, I'm still not 100% sure on my own interpretation of where is, – is she leaving someone or is she going to someone? I like that this album is sort of unclear about that. Exactly. It, it helps the, you come up with your own cinematic universe. Right, exactly. And it's funny, like, I, I you're talking about your sort of theory about what this album is about, and it's very much in line with what I think this album is about, which is basically what everyone that, that mm-hmm. I've heard, which is essentially – a bad breakup makes her fuck off to Europe for a bit. Yeah. And while she's there, she has the chance to ruminate on all these things that mm-hmm. she beforehand, you know, whether she was stuck in California or she was stuck in Canada, she was mm-hmm. chained to these other places and these yeah. other people. And once she got to go away and have some time alone, she gets to reflect on it and, and think honestly about it. For sure. About her daughter, about relationships or whatever. Yeah. And so I like that it doesn't, you know, it's like uh, it doesn't exist in a, in a set timeline. It's, I sure. like that she, the idea where she goes to Europe to bum around a little bit and meet some people and think about some stuff, and uh, it's not clear at what point in the timeline yeah. that happens. It's like an alternate reality almost. For sure. So um, I'm going to uh, talk a little bit more about um, about uh, this flight tonight. Uh, just kind of there's the uh, the real background of the song, and then my kind of author is dead interpretation reading of it. Um, so this song was written about um, her feeling bad that she left James Taylor because 
he was addicted to heroin. Mm -hmm. That is what the song on its surface is about. But there's a line in there that really kind of doesn't give the impression of her leaving James Taylor, which is, I hope your heat is back on. You don't really need heat if you live in Los Angeles. Right. That's a Canadian thing. Yeah, that's true. So to me, that was where I just got this feeling of she's singing about someone else. She's singing about leaving, probably leaving her husband. For Richard, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Little Dicky. Yeah, Little Dicky, I believe, is uh, his name. And then, so from here, we then go into River, a song about being miserable in Los Angeles. Right. It's coming on Christmas. They're cutting down trees. They're putting up reindeer, singing songs of joy and peace. And then, it doesn't snow here. It stays pretty green. Want to make a lot of money? Quit this crazy scene. And that song is now a Christmas song. We'll get to that, because that <laughs> so is disappointing to me. It's I, a great song, and it, but it... Uh, actually, the only cover of this song that I truly love is actually James Taylor's. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, because this song to me is like, the way that it uses the sort of Christmas mm-hmm. theme is almost in a way saying like, this is definitely not a Christmas that's song. That's how I've always and felt. That's, that's why they include, or she includes those little Christmas parts, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's uh, to say, it's definitely not that. It's a twisted little parody of, yeah, uh, exactly. of, um, of Jingle Bells. People are um, so fucking stupid. That everyone else <laughs> is like, oh, I hear Jingle Bells. Probably a great Christmas song. This song is such a bummer. Mm-hmm. It's a total downer. Yeah, so we've gone in two songs from California... California, I'm coming home. It's all beautiful. There's a spotted pig there. It's it's all great. Sunset, sunset pig. pig whatever doesn't matter because that's a throwaway yeah. line that doesn't mean anything. Or does it? No, it, it doesn't. I don't. I don't have a. I don't have a larger meaning for that. But it's it, it's fun. It's maybe a throwback to some of her older California songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, courting their crickets call, courting their ladies in start apple green. Um, but then the when pan flutes come in, yeah, and we get. Uh, so we now get the song that is so just raw and she's emotional and she's sad around Christmas, which is something, you know, a lot of people experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we go from there into probably the magnum opus of mournful, sad songs, even on a record that has blue on it, right. which is A Case of You. And I think this is where I got the sort of clarity of what my interpretation of this album is about. Is um, very early in the song, uh, and you mentioned it earlier. Um, it's uh, so it the, the song starts with her um, having an argument mm-hmm. with uh, her partner or someone she's with. Um, just before our love got lost, you said, "I'm as constant as a northern star, constantly in the darkness." Where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the bar. And from there, great! What great fucking lyrics! <laughs> I know that's, that's why so I don't think good. I've ever had a record. That we've talked about. Even Lamb Lies Down Broadway, where I can just, like, pull out lyrics like they're nothing. Yeah. I don't have a great memory for lyrics. But um, but then from there, in the bar scene, it's on the back of a cartoon coaster, in the blue of a TV screen light, I drew a map of Canada. And then, oh, oh Canada, and then she laments your, about Canada. With your face sketched on it twice. Right. So she's talking about this c- connection, this connection, the sadness, this loss of Canada, where the rivers do become ice that you yep. could skate away on. She's not in California anymore. She's back in her mind, mm-hmm. back to her ex-husband, back to this life, back to where she had a daughter Yeah, that also, she gave up. Like, it's just oh, 
gut-wrenching and yeah. heartbreaking. The other good thing that makes that line so powerful and so, uh, you know, really makes it resonate is that she's an amazing artist. She yeah. definitely actually oh. sat in a bar yeah. and that happened. She yeah. drew a map of Canada and his face twice. Yeah. There's not a fucking chance that's yeah. not real. Yeah, she she's always, uh, Joni's always described herself as uh, a painter that got stuck in music. How do you... Like the fucking chutzpah of telling just like the most true story on the most gut-wrenching yeah. record. And there's no, and we'll talk about it later because I have a quote from her about about yeah. her writing this album. There's no, at no point is she dressing up any of her bullshit, any of her feelings or mm-hmm. any of her um, problems or scars, you mm-hmm. know? Like she's she's got shit. They've all got shit. And she's got no problems with just saying this is exactly what happened this is exactly how i feel the language just takes such a turn on this record mm-hmm. um uh i'll talk about this one thing before I, I i talk about kind of my closing salvo which ties into last time i saw richard um Love but there is there's there's an earthiness there's a groundedness to this record that i don't think she had before and i don't think she ever had it since that's why it's the best uh and and maybe and maybe that's it like this because joni mitchell loves to obfuscate she loves to hide in mm-hmm. kind of these labyrinths of, of you know big rich words and just create these worlds that you can kind of sink into but it's loftier it, there's a um there's a great great song uh, one of her best songs lyrically uh, on hajira amelia mm-hmm. a song about amelia Earhart and her own I'm comparing them Ooh, just batted my mic a little bit there you know, they never found her never found her actually they did Nope. In my in my alternate reality fan fiction, Amelia Earhart frozen meets, in the ice. Amelia Earhart meets Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> when she comes back, she's Captain America. Oh, that'd be oh man! Someone pitched that shit to Marvel okay, right Amelia now. Amelia Earhart goes missing. They find they bring her back, and to keep the Captain America storyline relevant, we have Donald Trump be the modern Hitler, and okay. she socks him on the jaw. Oh. This show's getting political. Yeah. And good. Uh, and good. Finally. Finally. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in, in the song, Amelia, um, uh, the the line is, um, uh, maybe I've never really loved. I guess that is the truth. I've spent my whole life in clouds at icy altitudes. Mm-hmm. And looking down on everything, I crash into his arms. Amelia was just a false alarm. But I love that. Self-referential yeah, again. Yeah, she spent, I mean, uh, clouds, name of her record. Yep. Both sides now, maybe her greatest song, and look, just she's spent her whole life looking down, and it's lofty and it's big, and the only time she crashes to earth is when she lets herself open herself up to love, mm-hmm. and that's what this whole record is about: is about opening yourself up. But the language on songs, even on her most beautiful songs on this record, like the the language on Blue, is very grounded. It's mm-hmm. very Ursi, crown and anchor me. It, or or the times when she does still get lofty on this album, it never feels forced. Or if she says, I, you know, she would dress herself up with fanciness yeah. and you couldn't maybe discern what she was saying because of all the fancy words, that isn't true on this album. No. There's, even if she does get a little fancy and she does use um, some metaphor and stuff where it's not quite clear, it's still... Even if 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 the if the purpose of it was to be unclear, it's still painfully clear mm-hmm. because it's so it's like just too honest. It's yeah. too honest and wrong. Yeah, and then we go from uh, from the real, uh, you know, the the gut punch of a case of you into uh, last time I saw Richard, which I thought of. 
a dicky, which I've always thought of as a very sad song. But listening here, I it ends the the album on a note of hope, which. God, you really need that. After it's kind this of a record. breath of fresh air. Yeah, because she. So the song is about. Uh, it's a conversation with her ex-husband, uh, who's named. Uh, I don't remember his actual name. We'll uh, look it up on the break. Um, bring that info in. But um, and here she goes from this conversation, where basically the the crux of the conversation is he says to her, "All romantics like crash. They mm-hmm. lose." their love they lose their 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 love of life they their love of language they lose all this and and it's and the, by, when you accept that you'll be happier and then so weird kind, thing to yeah. say to somebody so she's it's, it's setting up. it's setting well i don't think they had a very good relationship it's setting him up as a realist mm-hmm. and a cynic and her as a romantic mm-hmm. and we haven't seen a lot of romance on this record maybe like carrie mild man has some but even 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 california it's, yeah it's not about love but yeah. there's tons of romanticizing yeah. other things yeah in that song. Th- that's true so she's still a romantic and i see that comes up again but then in the second part of the song it has the line he uh most nights he stays up uh, with a drink uh, and the TV on and all the lights are on and he just sits there. Right. So he has no peace. His, yeah. his cynicism has bought him no happiness, right. no peace, no nothing. He's trying to bring her down. Mm-hmm. He's and trying to exactly. make everyone just as unhappy as he is. And what she says is – and then she says that she's is the same – she feels the same way, but that's a dark cocoon from which she will emerge. Right. She'll she'll get better. This heartbreak is part of life. It's necessary, mm-hmm. but she'll be better. Mm-hmm. She'll and he never will. It's a re, it is a like Adele. Take notes. This is a fuck. It's you. a serious fuck. You. It's a serious fuck you because she says you can't. Yeah. Like I might be at the lowest point, but it's it's a cocoon from which I'll emerge. Right. And I I was listening to this record on the way here, and that whew, that's a that's a good statement for. Yeah. You know, if you've ever struggled with something very, very real, very serious in your life, the idea of it just being something that you can, you can grow from. Yeah. And I think that's like, I don't know, that's a pretty good opinion to have or a pretty good feeling to hold in general. What I, another great thing about this album is that at no point do I disagree with anything she says. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's the perfect breakup album, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's got it all. It's got hope. It's got despair. She doesn't violence. She doesn't run from anything. She doesn't run from any of her feelings, any of her emotions. uh, And it's a much stronger record for that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, take another. Yeah, I was just going to say, let's take another break now that uh, we kind of talked through song by song. We'll come back with the kind of final impressions of the record. Matt's got a beautiful quote to share with us. Uh, Let's uh, let's go out on a case of you because, boy, that's a great song. You said I am as constant as a northern star And I said Constantly in the darkness Where's that at? If you want me I'll be in the bar On the back of a cartoon 
Hello, dear listener. I hope you've been enjoying this fine program on this fine network. But if you'd like to check out something else, may I recommend Muzzer, May I Podcast with Danger, a show hosted only by me, Nick. Even though I'm recording this bumper with my comedy partner, Matt, right now. Hey, everybody, it's Matt. Hey, Matt, <laughs> what is my show, Muzzer, May I Podcast with Danger, about? I'll tell you, because I'm featured on a single episode, and arguably it's the best episode. It's a show about television movies, um, and you watch them, and then mm-hmm. you discuss them. Yeah, with a honored guest. Mm-hmm. And often, dishonored guest. Mm. And by often, I mean at least once, when it's me. Yeah. I've besmirched my name many times over. <laughs> well, thank you for thank you for joining uh, us in this fine advertisement. Check out Mother May I Podcast with Danger at OverEasyAirwaves.com on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. All I Want, from Joni Mitchell's seminal record, Blue. Matt is looking at me like I'm a fucking idiot for doing my NPR voice. That was Joni Mitchell on 97.4 Jazz FM. You're listening to The Quiet Storm. Uh, what what happened to Quiet Storm radio stations? Do they not? I guess they probably have them in like the South, American South and stuff. I mean, I think the real question here is who cares? Okay. <laughs> okay, fuck you. Yep. Um, so we're back. Sh- shutting you down. <laughs> We're back. You're back with the Virgin and the Whore here on uh, Talking Shit. The Virgin Shit. and the Whore here oh, on boy, 97.4 Jazz <laughs> FM. That would be, if I should find uh, two women interested in doing a postmodernist shock jock show called The Virgin <laughs> and the Whore. Oh, boy. Well, we Too are... many podcast ideas, not enough time. Not enough time. Um, so, yeah, we are back, as we said. Uh, we, we're talking about Blue. We're getting real... Sad talking about. We're getting real sad, but also real hopeful. Yep. Um, so yeah. So do we want do we want to rate this album out of seven? Yeah. I mean, you know how we do things here. Yeah. Now, um, I'm I might have to give this album the elusive seven out of seven. Me too. It's fucking amazing. It, it's it, it's a perfect album. Even even parts of this album where at one point, like River was a tune where the first time I heard it, I was like, uh not crazy about the whole Christmas thing, mm-hmm. but you know, like every single part of this album makes sense. It all has its place. Yeah. Even the parts where you go, even I mentioned this flight tonight. I was like, well, it kind of sticks out. Still works. Yeah. Still a great song. Do you think this record is a concept album? No, I don't. You don't? No, because I think, and we've had this conversation before, and I don't know if we're ever going to not have this conversation. I think it's an Mm -hmm. important thing that we have to talk about on this show. Sure. Concepts. (laughs) That's exactly right. I think that all great albums have to be conceptual in one way or another. Okay. I think Joni is a really, really great storyteller. I think this album has a very strong tone. It definitely tells a story, but I don't believe that when they were making it, it was a conscious effort to 
put it all together in this package where it's where the production really finally you know really closely matches the tone she's going for and because i you know a lot of it's like well now i'm comfortable enough putting this old song on here so let's mm-hmm. do that there's a few songs they cut i think there's two or three songs they cut from the album in order to put one or two on but though but i think if anything that shows a little more of a conceptual bent that she wanted it to be this this more personal statement so she cut some of the these uh these songs that are more honestly from her earlier her earlier style you know, I, I don't i don't know what it is about it again it's like really hard to put your put put your finger on it but i, re, I you know this one does not quite hit the marker of being a concept album for me it's definitely an amazing album and the well, concepts on it are great obviously that's uh i think this is something we should be clear about that Making something being a concept album is not an indicator of quality. As we know, all good records are concept albums and all bad records are not. That's exactly right. Um, I mean, yeah, but to me, like, what what makes a concept album a concept? Or sorry, what makes, whoa, what what am I really trying to say here? What makes a concept record is, um, I think it really is just like, just a unifying idea. Mm And because uh, I've it took me a long time uh, t- to get on board the Sgt. Peppers as a concept album train because I'm like, no, it's not. But the concept is the Beatles have invented a fictional band to tour for them. Right. Because they've stopped. It was the first album after they'd stopped touring. Right. That's the idea. That's the concept. That to me is a concept record. See, I think that a unifying theory or, or not theory, but like a unifying point or a through line for an album doesn't necessarily a concept album make. Okay. You know? Um, And again, like, it's hard to draw the line. I'm not sure where I would do it, but for some Mm -hmm. reason, deep down in my cockles, I'm thinking it just doesn't hit it for me. Okay. This might be the first disagreement re-being a concept album we've ever had. For sure. I mean, um, I think I I half-heartedly argued for Speaker Box being uh, one, but it's not really. I think this is, to me, is a lot stronger because even, um, because it, I I would call this a song cycle. Sure. Like, uh, pretty stupid thing to call it, but sure, I'll I'll allow it. (laughs) Um, I mean, you sound like an asshole is what I mean. Yeah, like, uh, (laughs) like how you like those Kate Bush records where, like, Hounds of Love, that's a song cycle. It's not necessarily... You love Kate Bush, right? I love Kate Bush. I'd love to do Hounds of Love on here, though it's going to be the exact same thing where you're like, well, it's not a concept album. I'm like, it is, Matt. It's a song cycle. (laughs) Well, I mean, the... First of all, I wish you'd stop saying song cycle. <laughs> and secondly, the very fact that you're using a sec another term for it makes me think that it's a separate thing. But it's a secondary definition, right? Like a song cycle mm. is it's a song cycle is defined by being a series of songs that are connected by uh, a cycle of by some kind. lyric lyrical or uh, musical unifying themes. Right. So to me, that is stronger than just saying like. To have to have you know so many songs that are about you know pl- like your place in the world and what is home and how does a, a breakup affect that that connects every song on this record right in a way that even other songs that even like albums that are about breakups like Adele's Twenty One don't have that they have filler they have songs that don't fit that mm-hmm. don't match every song deals with the same themes. What is an album to you, or can you think of an album that you would consider to be a really great album or a, a near-perfect album that does not have unifying themes or unifying, uh, you know, where, where the whole thing together 
is not conceptual. I would say what I'm thinking that's a and that's a really good question because there are like what came to mind almost instantly was Mama's Gun, Erica mm-hmm. Badu. Yeah, because that there are themes that go through that. I mean, blackness, revolutionary blackness. I mean, that's kind of just like what all and, of and fem- yeah, and femininity. But you can't take you can't go to a whiteboard write black women in America. Uh, revolution. Just the fact that you're using a whiteboard yeah. is racist at all. Yeah. You, uh, do it you on can't. a chalkboard. Sure, sure. So you do that. You can't write those down and then apply them to each song right. in the way you can do do with blue. I guess that's true. So that that's my argument for why this is a concept album. Even going, you don't want to consider my uh, little little storyline at all on this record. Well, I, I agree think, with your story. I think yeah. that's true. I think it definitely mm-hmm. tells a story. Uh, I mean, I'm so close to being convinced by you, but for argument's sake, I won't change my mind. Great. It's well, definitely not a concept album. Excellent. So, but it's still uh, seven out of seven, baby. That's the sound that we make when it's not a concept <laughs> album. Just a, a friendly little buzzer. All right, Blue Matt. by Joni Mitchell, you've been buzzed. <laughs> not a concept album. Uh, and in your defense, I haven't seen anyone call it a concept album ever. Just so, you. Just me. But I mean, it's, uh, again, I think we're going to have to talk about this every time we do the show. Think so as we well. really are the only people to try to to discern it. No one, yeah. no one who else has done it? I That's why we're fucking geniuses, and uh, this is the greatest yeah. show of all time. We are uh, transcendent voices of our generation. I got a little something here from Joni. I love it. About what she said about the record, and it pretty much fits exactly with what we're saying can about. You, can you do it in her voice, please? <laughs> you want me to do her later? Full voice her, or her, her early voice. screeching voice? Actually, uh, I would rather have you just read it because it's a beautiful quote. In 1979, Mitchell reflected. Ooh. That's how she talks. Um, okay, so uh, like I was saying, I think this quote it, uh, does a great job of basically agreeing with us in that the reason these songs are so good is because they take away the fluff and it's it's what you are left with is an incredibly talented songwriter who knows how to write really poetically, mm-hmm. writing very simply. In 1979, Mitchell reflected, oops, I accidentally hit a link to Chris Christopherson's <laughs> Wikipedia, and now I have to go back. In 1979, Mitchell reflected, the Blue Album, there's hardly a dishonest note in the vocals. At that period of my life, I had no personal defenses. This is my favorite part right here. I felt like a cellophane wrapper on a pack of cigarettes. I felt like I had absolutely no secrets from the world, and I couldn't pretend in my life to be strong or to be happy. But the advantage of it in the music was that there were no defenses there either. Who talks like that? Who? I felt like a cellophane wrapper on a pack of cigarettes is like a line that I could be chasing for years to put into a song and for never sure. get. And it comes to her so fucking easily. It's, it's tossed off in a in an interview. How do you um, do? That's crazy. Joni Mitchell... Um, she she there's a a realness to her where even though she is uh <laughs> she's a she's a bit of a, a bit of a kook in a lot of ways um she's kooky uh i mean something that uh doesn't get talked about a lot with Joni Mitchell is she dressed up in blackface on the cover of one of her records yep and but it's also such a good convincing costume that most people don't know that's her it's on the cover of Don Juan's Reckless Daughter yeah yeah like she Joni Mitchell loved chasing identities down, whether it was an alternate identity as a, a black man, um, which she talked about again and again in a sort of very, very weird way. Yeah, um, I'm not totally. I mean, I love Joni. I wasn't yeah. totally sold on that part. Yeah, that uh, that's not. But she. But but you always get the sense that even though she is, you know, a little lofty, a uh, little isolated, you 
can always connect to her humanity and that and she never runs away from that even in her uh at her most uh ornate and mm-hmm. um you can say verbose yeah and verbose <laughs> it's <yeah>. fine <laughs> that's true um well, I mean, we got some words from her. We've decided mm-hmm. it's 100% not a concept album. We, she got buzzed. She got buzzed, as I recall. Uh, we got two seven out of sevens, which that's, is the finest score any album's ever received mm-hmm. on this show. Even finer than American Idiot. That's true, which is, as we all know, one of the greatest uh, pieces of music <laughs> ever, ever conceived. Um, uh, Trey Cool, you done good. I think uh, let's wrap it up. Can yeah. we go out on a California? Let's go out on a keep little it, bit of a happier keep note. Keep it happy a little bit. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Concepts. I'm Matt. I'm Nick. And I love literally all of you. Bye. Bye. Ooh. Sitting in a park in Paris, France. Reading the news and it sure looks bad. They won't give peace a chance. That was just a dream some of us had. Still a lot of lines to see But I wouldn't want to stay here It's too old and cold And settled in its ways here All the California California Coming home I'm gonna see the folks I dig I'll even kiss a sunset pig California